0: Letter 28 of Clarissa, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume 1 by Samuel Richardson. Letter 28. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe. FRIDAY, MARCH the tenth. You will permit me, my dear, to touch upon a few passages in your last letter that affect me sensibly. In the first place, you must allow me to say, low as I am in spirits, that I am very angry with you for your reflections on my relations, particularly on my father and mother, and on the memory of my grandfather. Nor, my dear, does your own mother always escape the keen edge of your vivacity. One cannot one's self forbear to write or speak freely of those we love and honour, when grief from imagined hard treatment rings the heart. But it goes against one to hear anybody else take the same liberties. Then you have so very strong a manner of expression, where you take a distaste— That when passion has subdued, and I come, upon reflection, to see by your severity what I have given occasion for, I cannot help condemning myself. But least of all can I bear, that you should reflect upon my mother. What, my dear, if her meekness should not be rewarded? Is the want of reward, or the want even of a grateful acknowledgment, a reason for us to dispense with what we think our duty? They were my father's lively spirits that first made him an interest in her gentle bosom. They were the same spirits turned inward, as I have heretofore observed, that made him so impatient when the cruel malady seized him. He always loved my mother, and would not love and pity excusably, nay, laudably, make a good wife, who was an hourly witness of his pangs when labouring under a paroxysm and his paroxysms becoming more and more frequent as well as more and more severe give up her own will her own likings to oblige a husband thus afflicted whose love for her was unquestionable and if so was it not too natural human nature is not perfect my dear that the husband thus humoured by the wife should be unable to bear control from anybody else much less contradiction from his children If you then would avoid my highest displeasure, you must spare my mother, and surely you will allow me with her to pity as well as to love and honour my father. I have no friend but you to whom I can appeal, to whom I dare complain. Unhappily circumstanced as I am, it is but too probable that I shall complain, because it is but too probably that I shall have more and more cause given me for complaint.' But be it your part, if I do, to soothe my angry passions, and to soften my resentments. And this the rather, as you know what an influence your advice has upon me, and as you must also know that the freedoms you take with my friends can have no other tendency but to weaken the sense of my duty to them, without answering any good end to myself.' I cannot help owing, however, that I am pleased to have you join with me in opinion of the contempt which Mr. Soames deserves from me. But yet, permit me to say, that he is not quite so horrible a creature as you make him. As to his person, I mean, for with regard to his mind, by all I have heard, you have done him but justice. But you have such a talent "'at an ugly likeness, and such a vivacity "'that they sometimes carry you out of a "'In short, my dear, I have known you in more instances than one, "'sit down resolved to write up all that wit, "'rather than strict justice, could suggest upon the given occasion. "'Perhaps it may be thought that I should say the less on this particular subject, "'because your dislike of him arises from love to me.' but should it not be our aim to judge of ourselves and of everything that affects us, as we may reasonably imagine other people would judge of us and of our actions? As to the advice you give to resume my estate, I am determined not to litigate with my father. Let what will be the consequence to myself... I may give you, at another time, a more particular answer to your reasonings on this subject, but, at present, will only observe that it is my opinion that Lovelace himself would hardly think me worth addressing, were he to know this would be my resolution. These men, my dear, with all their flatteries, look forward to the permanent. Indeed, it is fit they should— For love must be a very foolish thing to look back upon, when it has brought persons born to affluence into indignation, and laid a generous mind under obligation and dependence. You very ingeniously account for the love we bear to one another, from the difference in our tempers. I own, I should not have thought of that. There may possibly be something in it, but whether there be or not, whenever I am cool and give myself time to reflect— I will love you the better for the correction you give. Be as severe as you will upon me. Spare me not, therefore, my dear friend, whenever you think me in the least faulty. I love your agreeable raillery. You know I always did. Nor, however over-serious you think me, did I ever think you flippant, as you harshly call it. One of the first conditions of our mutual friendship was— Each should say or write to the other whatever was upon her mind, without any offence to be taken, a condition that is indeed indispensable in friendship. I knew your mother would be for implicit obedience in a child. I am sorry my case is so circumstanced that I cannot comply. It would be my duty to do so if I could— You are indeed very happy that you have nothing but your own agreeable yet whimsical humours to contend with in the choices she invites you to make of Mr. Hickman. How happy I should be to be treated with so much lenity! I should blush to have my mother say that she begged and prayed me, and all in vain, to encourage a man so unexceptionable as Mr. Hickman. Indeed, my beloved Miss Howe, I am ashamed to have your mother say, with me in her view, what strange effects have prepossession and love upon young creatures of our sex. This touches me the more sensibly, because you yourself, my dear, are so ready to persuade me into it. I should be very blamable to endeavour to hide any the least bias upon my mind from you, and I cannot but say that this man— This lovelace is a man that might be liked well enough if he bore such a character as Mr. Hickman bears, and even if there were hopes of reclaiming him. And further still I will acknowledge that I believe it is possible that one might be driven, by violent measures, step by step as it were, into something that might be called—I don't know what to call it—a conditional kind of liking, or so? But as to the word love, justifiable and charming as it is in some cases, that is to say, in all the relative, in all the social, and what is still beyond both, in our superior duties, in which it may be probably called divine, it has, methinks, in the narrow, circumscribed, selfish, peculiar sense in which you apply it to me, the man too so little to be approved of for his morals, if all that report says of him to be true no pretty sound with it. Treat me as freely as you will in other respects. I will love you, as I have said, the better for your friendly freedom. But methinks, I could be glad that you would not let this imputation pass so glibly from your pen or your lips, as attributable to one of your own sex, whether I be the person or not, since the other must have a double triumph when a person of your Delicacy, armed with such contempts of them all, as you would have one think, can give up a friend, with an exultation over her weakness as a silly love-strick creature. I could make some other observations upon the contents of your last two letters, but my mind is not free enough at present. The occasion for the above stuck with me, and I could not help taking the earliest notice of them. Having written to the end of my second sheet, I will close this letter, and in my next acquaint you with all that has happened here since my last. End of letter twenty eight. Recording by Ben Dutton, Lampeter, Wales.